As you remain standing, let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please be seated? People are complex creatures. Human beings, on one hand, are capable of the most awful things. War, criminal activity, exploitation, the list of human sin is a long one. Yet the very same people are capable of remarkable acts of generosity, love, creativity, joy. The list of humanity's noteworthy attributes is a long one as well. That's true for people as a, a group generally, and also for each of us individually. And that is certainly what we have seen thus far from our friend Abraham. When last we saw him, Abraham was leaving Egypt, tail between his legs having made terrible decisions that devalued and dehumanized his wife and caused great suffering for many other people. And yet, in chapters 13 and 14, we see Abraham act in humility, faithfulness, even generosity, even going so far as to risk his own life to rescue his nephew Lot and all of Lot's kin. Turns out people are complex creatures. And Abraham was no different. I suppose that's one of the lessons of Abraham's story that we're going to keep seeing throughout this series. That it's never too late to turn around and to live a different sort of life. That in the face of our sin, the worst response that we could possibly have is to assume that there is no other way, and so to persist in our sin. Abraham doesn't do that. Having sinned, he turns around. He comes up out of Egypt and back toward a life of faithfulness. Well, how does this happen? How is it possible well, it's possible through blessing, through faithful submission, and through empowering. And those are the things that we're going to see in Abraham in this chapter. And so as we turn to our portion from chapter 14, let's talk about the blessing that is presented to Abraham. We have, we have two blessings, in a sense, presented to him. One, genuine and good. One, sounds good, but is false. At the beginning of chapter 14, Abraham goes out with some of his men to fight against a group of people who have taken his nephew Lot and Lot's family captive. Our reading comes in the aftermath of Abraham's victory. He's returned home, and now he has a meeting with two very different men. One he fought with in the battle, the king of Sodom. The other will not appear again in Abraham's story, although he is briefly mentioned in Psalm 104 and Hebrews 7. Melchizedek, the priest of God Most High. 
Both men offer Abraham blessings of sorts. Melchizedek's blessing is recorded in verses 19 through 20. We read, And he, Melchizedek, blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abraham, Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. That's it. Very simple prayer. Not a whole lot there on the surface, right? On the other hand, we have the king of Sodom. And he offers Abraham the blessing of massive wealth. Together, they have defeated several kings and they've collected the spoils of those victories. And so he says in verse 21, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. It's a very generous offer he makes here. He wants slaves. And so he says to him, just give me the slaves. You can have everything else. Now imagine what might be going through Abraham's mind at this point. After all, God has promised Abraham great blessing. And so maybe this offer from the king of Sodom was the means the Lord was going to use to bless Abraham. I mean, after all, he just left Egypt and he brought back with him a whole lot of stuff. Massive material blessing. And he had no issue taking it from Pharaoh, so why not just take the money and run? We could absolutely see how that would be the temptation. Especially considering the simplicity of Melchizedek's blessing. God bless you, Abraham. That's it. On the surface, one seems much more tempting. I mean, Melchizedek brings some bread and wine, but I mean, what's that compared to the offer of massive wealth, overwhelming riches that the king of Sodom has offered. And isn't that how temptations work with us? What we are tempted by is shiny and attractive. It, it promises the shortcut to the life that we've always wanted. And we can easily rationalize our way to receiving it. This must be from the Lord because it's good. And by comparison, the blessing that comes from God can seem to us, well, rather anemic. Not a whole lot there on the surface. But for both Abraham and for us, we need to, we need to think about the giver. We need to think about the one offering the blessing. You see, this offer of great wealth for Abraham comes from a king that chapter 13 tells us led men that were wicked Great sinners against the Lord. And if you know the rest of the story of Sodom, that verse should not be surprising to you whatsoever. You see, the king of Sodom has offered Abraham something that comes out of his own wealth and power. And it is tempting. It looks like the wonderful shortcut that Abraham has looked for and will continue to look for. But how many times do the shortcuts actually work out? 
How many road trips are coming back to our mind right now? Where that oh-so-tempting shortcut is right there for you. It's going to save you hours. Until it doesn't. They are oh-so-tempting. But just as Sodom itself would soon be nothing but dust, so it is for all that the world promises us. So it is for the shortcuts it seems to provide. Melchizedek, on the other hand, he points Abraham to the one who gives the real blessing. He does not say, blessed be Abram by Melchizedek, but rather, blessed be Abram by God Most High. He points him to the Lord, and in so doing, he reminds Abraham of who this God is. He's about to be offered wealth beyond anything he could imagine, right? The spoils of war. And what does Melchizedek point out for him? That God is the possessor of heaven and earth. To the ear of the unfaithful, God's offer sounds empty. But those with eyes to see and ears to hear see that it is an offer of blessing from the only one who truly blesses, the only one who promises what lasts and can never be taken away. After all, he is the possessor of heaven and earth and all that is in it. All things belong to him. If he wants us to have massive amounts of wealth, if that was actually the best thing for us, he would give it. And so this is the choice that Abraham has before him, to, see, to receive what looks and sounds good or to receive what is good. It is the reality that all of us face when trying to discern which path to follow, which apparent blessing to receive. And one of the ways that we discern that is to ask ourselves, who will this draw me closer to? Will this actually bring me closer to Jesus? Will receiving this create in me a desire to praise God for all he's done for me and serve him more? Or is it the short death to the life that I've designed and I've always wanted, but in the end would be terrible for me? This teaching is hammered home by the way that Abraham responds to the king of Sodom. Having been offered this huge amount of wealth, Abraham responds by rejecting it entirely. Very different than the guy who was just in Egypt, right? Verse 22, he says, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. You see, he knows that to take the offer of the king of Sodom is to wed himself to him. It is to give the impression that Abraham owes his position and his blessings to this king and not to God. It would be a statement of allegiance. And so in this moment, Abraham is either going to submit to the king of Sodom or to the Lord. That is the path before him. It is the path that we often have before us as we try to discern which path to follow, which blessing is true and which is false. 
Will receiving this blessing attach me to that person? We can think of the offer, the temptation that was made to Jesus in the desert, right? When Satan offered him the world, which by the way he couldn't have given, but that's a side point. He offers Jesus the world. How tempting would that be to any of us? All the power you've always wanted, the life you've always wanted. All you've got to do is worship pure evil. <coughs> Jesus knew that the offer would cost him everything. As tempting as it might sound on the surface, to receive it would cost him everything. What then would we choose? Which path would we follow? Abraham here shows us what the faithful choice is. I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, Abraham says. It's a statement of faith, a statement of loyalty. It's a statement of one who walks the path of faithful submission. To turn away from the path of unfaithfulness means receiving the blessing that the Lord offers. It may not look as nice on the surface, but it is the blessing that lasts and the blessing that we truly need. It is the blessing of being made His. And to be His means walking with faithful submission. Now this is not just shown by Abraham in his words where he announces this here, but also in his actions. He gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything. He pays him a tithe. That is an act of faithful submission. It is, as Ian Duguid points out, an act that shows Abraham trusted in God to deliver in his own time and in his own way the riches of his promise. You see, that is what giving to God is all about. It's not an attempt to curry his favor or to appease his wrath. It's saying that you trust him. In giving this offering, Abraham is saying in a tangible and practical way that his faith is in God to provide and deliver, not in his money, not in the offer of the king of Sodom, not in the things of this world. He's not interested, at least in this moment, in the get-rich-quick scheme, but in faithfulness. In this way, he is practicing the spiritual discipline of guarding his heart against the temptation to chase after money and the things of this world and to create idols of them. It's a tangible acknowledgement that he believes that God is, in fact, the possessor of both heaven and earth and can bless him with whatever he needs. And so it is for us. If we are Christians, that is what the act of giving shows and it cultivates. When we pass the plate or you give online through your bank or wherever you do it, it's meant to be the same sort of thing, an act of faithful submission, an act of worship, saying that we trust in Jesus to care for us, not the material blessings that he's given us. It's him, not those. And we just finished a series in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where Jesus teaches us that no parent who loves their child would give them a stone instead of bread or a snake instead of fish. If you then, Jesus says, who are evil, know how to give gifts, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven 
Give good things to those who ask Him. Our giving shows we believe this. We're not sowing a seed of faith so that the Lord will just give us more money. That's just compounding idolatry. That's a false teaching. It's a really popular one. Generally speaking, false teachings aren't really popular. It's about practicing the faithful act of giving so that we are freed from the idolatry, from the love of money that poisons us, so that we can build our trust in our Father to provide for our every need and come through on His promises. And yes, that's often done with our money, but it's far more than that. It's shown in how we use all that we are given, in in how we use our time, our talents, and our treasure. You've probably heard that before, right? Time, talents, and treasure, the way that we give to the Lord. The point is that the entire life of faith is meant to be lived as an offering to God. This is what Paul's talking about in Romans when he says, by the mercies of God, we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. As Christians, we are called to give ourselves back to God in all that we do, announcing that we are submitted to Him and we now walk by faith in Him. Abraham here is worshiping the Lord in word by announcing his allegiance to God and in deed by giving out of what he has to the Lord. It is a life of faithful submission. But how do we do it? Because a lot of us don't really have a ton of money, right? And a lot of us don't really have a ton of energy, right? And a lot of us don't have a ton of time either, right? So how do we do this? How then do we, having received the blessing of God over the false blessing of this world, live a life of faithful submission? By being empowered by God to do so. Because all those things I just said, that we don't have enough of this and that and the other, right? We will use all of those excuses to do none of them. Empowered by ourselves. Empowered by God, it's different. Think again for a moment of Jesus in the wilderness, right? As he's being presented these temptations by Satan, what does he do? He's empowered by the word of God to resist them. He uses God's word as his shield and defense against the temptation of the devil. Abraham here was empowered through something similar. He did not have the word of God written at this point. But what he did have was a faithful witness to empower him. Again, our friend Melchizedek. Whose name itself means king of righteousness. Who is king of Salem, which means king of peace. So here then, standing before our friend Abraham, is the king of righteousness and peace. He is the priest of God Most High, the scripture tells us. And here he comes out to the man chosen by God, Abraham, giving him the offer of the blessing of God and bringing with him 
bread and wine. Now, if you're a Christian, or frankly, have a passing knowledge of what it is that Christians believe, the alarm bell should be going off like crazy in your mind right now. Who does this sound like? Does he sound familiar at all? He kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't he? Jesus, the true bringer of righteousness and peace, the one who gave us bread and wine as the true effectual signs of his broken body and shed blood which bought us peace with God. Jesus, the one who blesses us with every heavenly blessing and satisfies the longing of our soul. Melchizedek here sounds so much like Jesus that many faithful people throughout the years have argued that he is, in fact, what we call a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus before his incarnation. Whether he is or not, I don't know. I kind of hope he is, but I don't think. Whether or not this is a Christophany, in either case, it doesn't matter. Because of what he is. He's a forerunner to Jesus. He's one whose very life and actions and all that we know about him point us to Jesus. He's someone who images the Lord so well that we cannot help but see who he is leading us to. He is the image of a priest of grace rather than law. Everything about him points us to Jesus. And so through this encounter with Melchizedek, it is a reminder for Abraham of who God is and what he has done. And in so being this, he is empowering Abraham to resist the very temptation that he has submitted to previously, and by the way, will again later. But in this moment, he is empowered because he has been pointed to God. We Christians are empowered in the same way if we are Christians. We too face numerous temptations in this world, do we not? And we can grow frustrated with our inability to resist them. I don't know how many pastoral meetings that I've had. I've lost count. Not that, actually, I really tried to keep count. But the point being, I've had countless of these meetings where people vent their frustrations to me about how they don't want to sin, but they keep doing it. By the way, part of that frustration is a sign of growth. If you didn't care, I'd be far more worried. Part of the challenge is we try with all our might to resist these temptations, but we try to do it in our own strength. But instead of trying to resist them in our own power, we are to come and to receive from a priest who is even greater than Melchizedek. We are to receive from the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the righteous himself. As we gather together, as we come before our Lord, we receive him in the means of grace, in the bread 
and the wine, through the sacrament, through the faithful preaching and reading of his word, our faith is strengthened and renewed as we receive him over and over again so that we can go back out into this world announcing our allegiance to him and to none other. It is the very gift of God for the people of God to empower us to live as his. And Abraham himself here, he was empowered to resist with less than what we've been given today. For Christ has come and redeemed us. He has given us his spirit and his means of grace and his word and sacrament so that we might have his presence and power within us to walk in this world. We have the very word of God written for us. Abraham didn't have any of that. And so rather than spending our time wondering who Melchizedek is, as fun as that is, our time is spent far better contemplating and being strengthened by the one he points to. Jesus resisted the temptations of the devil by leaning upon the word of God. We, his people, if we are his people, have received the very word of God into our hearts. How then will he not empower us to resist the temptations we face when we call upon him? That means turning to him, leaning upon him, coming to him when we face temptation so that we might resist the devil and see him flee from us, as James teaches us. Abraham gets so much wrong leading up to this moment. And as I've said, he's going to get it wrong again and again and again. He is certainly not a perfect man, but he is faithful. He hears and receives the blessing of the Lord. He submits himself to the Lord alone and is empowered to live for the Lord alone. That is the gift that all of us are now offered through Jesus. It is the gift offered to you who have gotten everything wrong in your life, even up to this very moment. It is the gift offered to you who have more sin in your life than you would ever want anyone to ever know about. The worst thing you can do is to keep going down that same road. Abraham, the father of faith, shows us what it is to turn from sin and to follow God. My dear friends, hear the blessing of Jesus that he came to forgive and to redeem. Submit yourselves to him by faith that you might be his forever and receive by his grace and Holy Spirit his presence and power as you live in this world for him. He is our great high priest who has given himself for us. Take that faithful step. Submit yourself to him. Receive his blessing and his grace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.